Good evening, everyone. This is uh, Jason Powers. So I haven't done a podcast this this particular way in a while, and I'm um, sitting inside and um, was going over a um, film that I watched today called The Great Taking, which um, and it also comes with a companion book, but I found it uh, very engaging at least in the standpoint of it's, it mirrors the thesis that I have um, put together in regards to what's going on. Of course, we all know what we all should know what's going on is uh, uh, the destruction of, well, your entire uh, worldview, your entire uh, freedom set, financial systems, political systems, all these systems that we have grown very accustomed to over the past, well, in my lifetime at least, uh, you know, there's, you know, I, nothing like this would have been ever at hazard back 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Really, only about 20 years ago, you could have seen the, the inklings of this through the Patriot Act and other uh, circumstances revolving around. 9-11, uh, the Iraq War, Afghanistan War, and the push by, of course, uh, George W. Bush, who is a, um, you know, and his uh, ancestor was part and parcel to the last time this particular circumstance was uh, foisted upon humanity back in World War uh, One era. So, a matter of fact, I'm going to listen to this little section here. Um, uh, and then I'll tell you what it's uh, saying. Um, I got to listen to it real quick here, though. So as we were entering the 20th century, um, it, it turns out that the velocity of money was uh, collapsing, which is the number, you know, obviously ties to economic, um, I guess you could call it economic health. So if you have a low velocity of money, uh, means things are not, uh, running smoothly, uh, transactions are not creating uh, further wealth, or when I say wealth, creating the opportunities for wealth, we'll call it that, um, or the opportunities for people to uh, make enterprises more efficient, more effective, and obviously economic activity has a lot to do with how human beings, you know, I guess you could say achieve a certain amount of health in themselves. This isn't, you know, new ideas here, by the way. This is something that's been measurable, and this is something that's been psychologically uh, uh, seen or observed or, or uh, delineated in, in various uh, tombs by people who are, you know, uh, in part and parcel to some of this stuff. But, uh, and let me uh, continue here and listen to this. It's only about 20 seconds, but I... I didn't want to cut and paste it and, and, and try to figure out how to get this to insert. So we'll just go from there. So you had the Qing dynasty that fell. And then you have, uh, you know, that ended the dynastic rule in 1912. So between the periods of 1914 and 1918, I'm... Uh, basically giving you a paraphrase of what this guy is talking about and the, the great taking uh, Mr. Uh, David Webb. So you had the Turk Ottoman Empire that fell. 
You had the Austro-Hungarian Empire that fell. You had the German, obviously Germans got defeated in World War One, and then you had the British Empire, which was substantially weakened, and therefore uh, you had this. This was an intentional thing done by globalist powers, of course, because they were trying to bring on a new uh, era of uh, dominance uh, in regards to they wanted to bust nationalism. That's always been a very key part of this because it goes to a thesis that I'm working on. But uh, so we're going to read a part. This is the early part of this book called The Great Taking Book. And then I'm going to parallel it with the first, basically the first paragraph of or the first section of my uh, book. I will say it's more, it'll be like five paragraphs. So it won't take very long, but I'm going to read it verbatim. Hopefully uh, you'll understand what I'm getting at. I'm, uh, count, count. So I wrote this, my uh, section of the book has been well-written. So I'm going to go ahead and just read that first and then we'll read what he has to say. And you can see where uh, we have some alignment or some uh, uh, unity in terms of how we foresee this. So the Great Reset is about the control collapse of the post-World War II monetary, political, and social systems and their replacement with techno-totalitarian systems with similarities but for the geographic operating centers and from which there will be no conceivable escape by the population. This is to be operational by 2030. The monetary aspects of the prior Bretton Woods-based world order are cracking from enormous debts and ongoing currency devaluation. Those debts are rising above $325 trillion, with credit derivatives surpassing $700 trillion notational, and long-term statutory liabilities incalculable across 194 UN-acknowledged countries, but hazard these are on the order of one-half quadrillion dollars, or $500 trillion. The political fractures, the cohort ending, arose happily in 1989 as the Berlin Wall fell. The Great Game 2.0 launched thereafter, but with a new wrinkle, China rising off the backs of Americans too busy to notice, too propagandized to admonish their corrupted political class or cheated at the ballot box, and too distracted by technology from the internet to iPhones. Geopolitics took a back burner to searching Google and Grindr. The social realities are the most jarring if one believed in meritocracy, minimizing internal strife, and operating from actual classic Western moorings tied to a god, a family, and fair treatment and respect of people and traditions laid out since the Magna Carta and through to the U.S. Constitution. The hypocrisy class, that is Washington, D.C., has made foreign wars its overarching lucrative agenda, not at all concerned about how other cultures see their military campaigns. Guided by our British cousins' antipathies towards Russia while preaching about protecting democracy and a rules-based international order came with a pricey domestic bargain as well. The destruction of a vital democratic republic and violating rules and civil rights without any consequence while showing deep abiding contempt for their citizen population. This contempt spans all the Western democracies, growing for many years, but presented most vividly with the arrival of COVID-19 near the Ides of March 2020. Such hard-won uh, traditions are destined for death, 
the financially failing promises of plenty, prosperity, and pensions that were made by these agenda operators, they cannot honor, nor will they attempt to. This is the next world order forms quickly before our eyes, centered on China. There are many faces to this order, thousands actually, that have been trained, mentally conditioned, and even bred to rule over the masses. They see humanity as the ancients did, pliable and useful slaves that must be completely controlled or extinguished from existence if they dare ever to rise up. So that's uh, the first few paragraphs of uh, what I'm uh, writing. And uh, I plan on... uh, There's been a lot of things that I've had to kind of uh, involve myself into trying to add to this. Uh, this first volume is about a geopolitical agenda. It's really the world agenda, but in and of itself, it's the idea that there is a shift and there's going to be a, uh, a reframing of Western civilization, <laughs> what, le- what is left of it after they've destructed it using destabilization methods that we're well uh, acquainted with if you're uh, if you're a CIA uh, history buff with the idea of color revolutions and um, making sure countries can't uh, formulate a national identity and also using migration, which is just a battering ram to tear down populations, cause chaos as places in the United States are starting to really see like Chicago people who are used to uh, being the considered uh, lowest on the totem pole, the victim class, at least that's the way they, many of them, they don't like to see themselves as victim, obviously, but that is, that is what they've been using as, as their means to uh, achieve uh, a certain uh, comfort or a state, you know, stability as much as is instable in terms of how it's presented to them. Uh, you know, you know, people want their hovel, even if even if it's just their hovel, they want that. So now they're being challenged by um, migrants who are being influxed into their city and dropped on their streets. And this is causing uh, disruption. And plus, they know they know very intimately that the 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 taxes and the the monies are going going to those people. This is meant intentionally, of course, because policy, the policy is, they know these are insane policies. That's why they're introducing them. They don't care about you. They don't care about any of us. They they just they're just using these migrants that they've created intentionally. They've created these problems all around the world. You can hearken it back to the Bush era, by the way, because. That was the whole point of the Middle East situation. As much as they said that they were, uh, you know, there's a arc of crisis that they've always tried to use as a disruptor to Russia. But instead of that, though, they really shifted the migration patterns into Europe because they wanted to destabilize Europe. Uh, There's been a very malicious intent behind all of these policies for many, many years, and people have raised the alarm bells, but of course, if you're of the wrong political persuasion, 
you don't understand this because you don't you can't see the longer term objective. You can't see the second, third, and fourth order outcomes of doing stuff like this because most people are trying to be too nice to people. And by the way, because of this fact and because they they sold it to you as being compassionate towards these people, which the compassionate thing would have been to never have started a war with uh, started uh, these conflicts over there. And if you were truly interested in getting rid of terrorism, you wouldn't target an entire country uh, for demolition like we did in Iraq and, and use Afghanistan. And we lost and failed in both of those aspects. And it's all coming back to haunt us because that's exactly what it was meant to do. You know, the Bush agenda, the neocon these people are fools. I don't even know if they're all necessarily cognizant of what they're doing. And that's not another thing with this uh, this um, uh, uh, video that I've been kept uh, put a link to that you absolutely should watch the whole video. Um, but in particular, from 15 minutes on, if you don't watch it, you're you're really missing out on something because you really need to understand how they've decided to do this and how it was done legally in a legal framework. Now, I can't verify this stuff. I can I'm not a legal, I'm not enough of a finance expert or enough of a legal expert to know how this intertwines together. However, if you look at the video, watch the video, look at the legal uh uh he highlights specifically every little legal detail that this goes to and every nuance, new terminology and how the bankruptcy laws played in it, how the UCC code plays into this and how this has been a long-term agenda, which I, I agree. It has been a long-term agenda, especially against the United States because they know that the, the United States has set the model for, or had been setting the model for, uh, most of the European democracies in terms of how freedom of speech is supposed to be put, rolled out and how all those restrictions have been re-rolled out to uh, stifle that. That's why they, they're hell-bent on controlling information. That's an absolute necessity. If you want to control, have a totalitarian system, you have to control all media outs, outlets. You have to stifle people's ability to speak which is imperative right now that we absolutely need to say as much as we can about how this is operating. And for the low IQ people, no offense, they are, they're low IQ. They don't pay attention. They don't understand. They don't want to, they don't want to deal with details. They don't want to deal with these circumstances. I've met people who even are very intelligent, very high IQ, and they want to ignore this stuff. They want to act like it doesn't exist. They want to bury their head in the sand because uh, it's just too much for them to handle. They can't understand that their life is going to change forever. That's what these people are after. Some of them are not even aware of how badly they're doing this because some of them are ideological. You know, they're, they just, you know, they don't think long term. They don't know how much is this going to impact their lives in some respects because they have power now. A lot of people, because they have a certain amount of power that's, they've, or an unearned got achieved uh, through positioning, and they've been used for you. They've been used for that reason because you know there are there are people that psychologically uh, they look at people and they say, "Ha, I know I can do something with that person because they know people 
you know, there are certain people that don't have any morals or principles and they can be very useful for what they need to do. There's a reason why Abraham Kendi and Robin D'Angelo appeared. I don't know anything about these two clowns from 10 years ago and maybe you probably don't either. They're just useful. They are useful idiots, but they're well-paid useful idiots to do what they need to do. It's like a battering ram, a battering ram on racism and battering ram on uh, transgenderism. They have doctors who, yes, these doctors are, they're, they're experts in their field, but they, that's the thing is they're experts in a field. They're in experts in a silo who understand incentives and they understand they may understand biology, but then they think they're being compassionate because they've been brainwashed to think that that's the way it needs to be done, or they've been um, manipulated, blackmailed, or whatnot, uh, and they have no gumption or uh, understanding that you know it's not a they, but they believe in a higher cause of genetics. They think that well, we can solve so many things if we just allow people to explore their genetic. Uh, 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 options in terms of being able to be male or female and, and cut their genitals off and re re it, They don't really, they don't, they don't think of it as, uh, as being a part of a grander scheme because, you know, they don't think about the billionaires like Pritzkers who, you know, uh, in fund substantially fund all these different, uh, outlets to, to push and promote this kind of stuff. So from their standpoint, you know, they don't they don't put a lot of uh, stock in people who think this is all just conspiracy. Now, this is a very well thought out multi because these are these are actually distractions, but they're huge distractions. By that, I mean, they're socially destabilizing. They want to destabilize. You notice countries that aren't pushing this stuff are in the BRICS area, the Russia, China, UAE, Saudi Arabia, uh, those are all new uh, uh, actors in the BRICS, India, uh, Brazil. These are all, uh, Argentina is actually now a member of this group. It's a, there's 11 countries now. And they have a very substantial amount of firepower, gold, uh, GDP, very low debt. They're being set up for, they're set up for the, they're like the safe havens for these uh, globalists to run their capital to because they're, that's that's part of this deal too. It's a um, they're trying to. Uh, they're, uh, I think the the people, the very big powers that be, are looking for a place to obviously have a place to shift their investments to, while they're destructing. When the West finally goes down, they want to have. They're not. They're not trying to take the whole of the. T they know they're going to take a hit. They just don't want to take the entire hit. By the way. They want to have a place to move their assets and move their resources that isn't totally falling apart. And what better place to do that? And then someplace that's got low debt has a, a has a system. Well, you'll know when they kick that system on and they are very close because they just, like I said, they added Saudi Arabia, UAE. They are substantial oil. We know energy is very part of very much a part of the situation. They're uh, very much the bigger players there. And when they pull the pull the ripcord on this whole entire thing, they want to. They're going the people that are very high up in this, we'll just say, uh, plan, are going to want to have a place to escape to, 
and they have various uh, locales. They might not necessarily live in those localities because they don't like, you know, whatever, but they want to have a place to run their investments through. So this decoupling, uh, this decoupling, whether it be from China or from Russia, Russia was first because that was the whole point of the Ukraine war. I don't think that was uh, that was actually intentional from the United States. I mean, of course, it was intentional. People think it was about Russia. No, no, no. Russia did what they did. Don't get me wrong. But this is a, it's very coincidentally convenient to do as such. And it's very good because uh, from the standpoint of the, the high priestess of the globalist agenda, the globalist parasites, to have that because that cleaved off and that made an immediate, when they kicked them off the SWIFT system, that was basically their way of saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to use financial warfare. The United States did. Well, yeah, and every other country in the world, and there's like over 100 of them now, has figured out that they, they can't trust the United States, which, I mean, would you? I mean, if you knew, I mean, this isn't the first time, by the way, we've done this too. We've done this to other countries who have uh, deigned to want to run their own uh, bank, national bank, run their own transactions and their own currency, trade with other countries. If they even dare to do that, then we've bombed the shit out of them or we've uh, 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 started a color revolution and overthrown the dictator that we had usually put we, that we put in place to begin with. This is uh, very, very much a, a pattern of behavior on our part in terms of the United States. This isn't the United States citizens, by the way. This is the United States government. This is the United States intel agencies. This is the United States uh, Department of Defense. The thing is, is these are all funded because we've used our abused our world currency status, our world reserve currency status, to run all these crazy wars and the people we're up against who are not good people. But they they're practical, they're ruthless, and they know exactly what. The, and they're also paranoid too. So I mean, I, I use that I use that to describe a Russian. They're paranoid, they're ruthless, but they're a, a highly highly pragmatic. They don't and they're not going to sit around and wait for someone to uh, sell them a bunch of idealistic bullshit. They know better than that. They they've been through that rodeo before. And that's exactly the way they're they're operating their their a new scheme. Now, right now, you know, we think of Russia as the junior partner to China because of the amount of uh, manufacturing might that the Chinese have acquired, uh, you know, by us gutting ourselves, the United States. You know, people don't seem to understand that we financialized everything, and now we're just pushing paper. Um, I'm not saying there is no manufacturing in this country, but we have substantially hamstrung ourselves. So has Germany. Germany did that intentionally too. It's quite amazing all the things that we've done to in the West to uh, deindustrialize ourselves. And and then yet you you want to run a war, which I mean you just can't do. You just can't run conflicts without a manufacturing base. It just can't be done. You can throw all the propaganda at all the people, and people can believe, oh, we have all these military. Yeah, other countries have military implements too. We've given a lot of these places military, our military hardware, and they've reverse engineered and hacked into a lot of this stuff too, by the way. 
You know, there is a problem with proliferating weapons. Everybody then suddenly knows what you have. Now, do we have a storehouse of secret weapons that I don't know about? Well, probably so. I'm sure we got something in the cupboard. I would hope so for as much as money we've spent over the last 20, 30, 40 years. But, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to hang my hat on that because I don't have enough clearance to know what the hell that is. And <laughs> I don't even think the people that are supposed to have all the clearance are, they're going to lie about it anyway. And believe me, there's, that's a reason why we should be very suspicious of the amount of intentional destruction that we have done to our, 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 our reputation or military, well, what we would call military prowess and deterrence, and by just creating all these illogical, you know, 800 bases around the world and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm digging into all this stuff because I, this is part and parcel to the entire situation, is that we've walked ourselves into this, this trap, and it's not just the U.S., Obviously, Europe is part of this, too. And you just wonder just how far you're going to fall. Well, that's going to happen. Um, to get back to uh, this uh, David, um, this web guy. So I'm going to read a couple paragraphs or at least two paragraphs of what he wrote. So he starts out his introduction. He says, Supreme excellence consists of breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Sun Tzu. What is this book about? It is about taking of collateral, all of it, the end game of this global synchronous debt accumulation supercycle. This is to be executed by long-planned, intelligent design, the audacity and scope of which is difficult for the mind to encompass. Yes. Including, included are all financial assets, all money on the bank, deposit at banks, all stocks and bonds, and hence all underlying property of all public corporations, including all inventories, plant equipment, land, mineral deposits, inventories, and intellectual property, privately owned personal and real property finance with any amount of debt will be similarly taken, as will, be, as will the assets of privately owned businesses which have been financed with debt. If even partially successful, this will be the greatest conquest and subjugation in world history. So, while I'm talking about a debt collapse, he's talking about the idea that this is all tied to collateral and about taking the collateral of all people. That's the thus the the moniker "you will own nothing and be happy." Um, so it kind of intertwines together. Um, so he he goes and let me go further. Let me read. I'll read. I'll read a, a couple pages and see what you think of this book, and I'll probably put the pdf in but you definitely need to watch the video just just to get yourself up to speed if you don't know anything about this stuff if it's even half correct it's dangerous as hell if it's more than half correct well then we are we are really behind the eight ball because there's only legal that we need legal remedies and we have people that are just dare i say absolutely oblivious and too many people stuck on stupid that can't figure this out and, and I say that only from the stands that we have incredible legal minds out here. And if they can't piece this together or can't run, run the roadmap and figure it all out, then we, we have no hope to try to fight this from a legal standpoint. Then it's just going to turn into something. Well, we don't want it to turn into that, but it, it probably will. 
We are now living with, he said, we are now living within a hybrid war conducted almost entirely by deception and thus designed to achieve war aims with little energy input. It is a war of conquest directed not against other nation states, but against all of humanity. Private, closed-held control of, of all central banks and hence all money creation has allowed a very few people to control all political parties, governments, the intelligence agencies, and the myriad of front organizations, the armed forces, the police, major corporations, and of course, the media. These very few people are the prime movers. Their plans are executed over decades. Their control is opaque. When George Soros said to me, he, he didn't meet George Soros in 2003. If you want to hold that against him, that's that's part of your that's part of your bag. Believe me, it's not that I have any absolutely. Any, sometimes you can meet the devil, by the way, and learn a lot about the devil. So there is something to be said for meeting the devil. You you should probably use that as an opportunity to mine the devil for anything and everything you can get out of him in terms of what he either knows, what he thinks, what he plans, or better yet, who he knows what they think and what their plans are to do. Because so in other words, don't, you you know, (laughs) sometimes you can't kill a messenger just because you don't like who they talk to. Cause that's just absolutely it's, it's unhelpful at this point. So let me get back to this. George Soros said to me, you don't know what they can do. It was these people to whom he referred. Now to be absolutely clear in the, it is these very few people who are hidden from you who are behind this war against humanity. You may never know who they are. The people you are allowed to see are hired face men and face women. They are expendable. One might see comfort in thinking this must be crazy. Nothing like this has ever happened before, but it has. The precedent for the intent, design, and hor- horrific execution of, of such a plan can be found by examining the early 20th century the period of great wars and the Great Depression. The proclaimed Great Reset now in progress, however, includes major innovations which will allow unprecedented concentration of wealth and power over humanity through uh, deprivation. How? How might it come to pass that you will own nothing and so boldly predicted by the World Economic Forum? It certainly is not about the personal convenience of renting, With the collapse of each financial bubble and the ensuing financial crisis, a story is rolled out which should should by now be familiar to you. It goes like this. All of us are at fault. We just wanted too much, and we were living beyond our means. And now, our collective greed has caused this terrible global crisis. The authorities, the regulators, had struggled mightily to protect us from our own animal spirits. Their great and elaborate efforts have been uh, demonstrated through decades of work. Despite their good intentions, however, they failed and can't be blamed or prosecuted for that. After all, we are all all the blame. In any case, let's look forward. The financial system must be restarted so that we can provide credit to you again, create jobs, get the economy growing, whatever it takes. This time, what it will take is all of your property and what your thought was your property. Here's your central bank digital currency deposit uh, deposit on your smartphone so that you can buy milk. Noblesse oblige. I 
Yeah, I can't pronounce it. It's probably French. <laughs> okay. Money is extremely, uh, extremely efficient control system. People order themselves, uh, people order themselves up money incentives and thus difficult, dangerous and energy intensive overt physical control need not be employed broadly. But the money control system breaks down at the end of a monetary super cycle, both the collapse and the velocity of money, velocity or VOM. This is a multi-decade process. Velocity is the number of times that a a unit of currency is spent to buy goods and services in a period of time. This is is measured by comparing the value of all goods and services produced in a period of time, gross domestic product or GDP, with with the value of all cash and deposits, which can be used as nearly as easy as cash, the money supply. So... If so, velocity equals GDP divided by the money supply. So, if you have an overexpanding money supply and your GDP is increasing, then the velocity of money is uh, decreasing. And, and by the same token, if you have like say, we'll just use round numbers here. Say GDP is twenty trillion dollars, which I mean that used that was recently the U.S.'s GDP within the last say five to seven years. Uh, so, but if say the money supply was two trillion dollars, then the velocity would be ten. But if you had GDP at twenty trillion and your money supply, you know, you have to have ten trillion dollars to create that. You know, they to, for those two things to exist, then your velocity is down to two. Which, like I said, that shows the slowing of velocity. It's not quite like that, but you know, you get the feel for what I'm talking about. So, lower velocity results in lower GDP. Milton Friedman was an economist noted for the uh, for a study of monetary history in his book Monetary History of the United States 1867 to 1960 co-authored with Anna Schwartz we find the following observation we know enough to demonstrate rather conclusively that velocity of money must have declined sharply from 1880 to World War 1 collapse in VOM is exactly what what was unfolding from the 19th century leading up to the great war a uh, great war Within a few years, the Russian, Austro-Hungarian, and Ottoman Empire ceased to exist, as did the, the Qing Dynasty, the German economy, what I said before. Then, follow, then followed the Great Depression, the Second World War, and the slow collapse of the British Empire. No populations were unscathed. There were no winners, or were there? Exactly, were, or were there? See, behind everything that goes on in the world, we know there's bankers, there's people, you know, all wars are bankers' wars. We know that. That's an axiom. That's an axiom that everybody should have deep, deeply inserted inside their head that, you know, behind every situation, in order for a war to exist, bankers have to fund it, uh, you know, finance it. Uh, there's winners and losers inside that financing, of course, because depending upon what side they, it obviously helps from them to, they always, you know, fund both sides of every war, um, that way they can, and then whatever losses that they have, they just, you know, they wash away or, or they kick it into a, a special investment vehicle or an LLC or whatever, create a bad bank and throw all the bad investments over there. And they deal with it later. You know, like anything else, there's more and more ways to skin every cat. And believe me, I'm not a banker, so I don't know. But I know that that's the concept behind a lot of this stuff is that uh, 
as long as they have a Ponzi scheme, which is what the, that's why I'm calling this uh, broadcast Ponzi. As long as you have a methodology to move stuff into, uh, you know, so you can keep on keeping the, the main system operating with new uh, participants. One of the things with the growth of population, you have to have more, more and more growth of population. So you have more clients or customers to fuel the, uh, to keep on, you know, uh, keep the older gents happy. But they know that isn't going to case. Matter of fact, when people talk about, oh, this uh, population is unsustainable. Oh, well, yeah, they right. They already know that population is going to, to absolutely collapse. And the debts are just astronomical. And they're never going to fill. Anybody who has a pension or a retirement fund or Social Security, you, you, you just might as well just forget all about that. That's not going to happen for you. You better, I mean, not to not to be the bearer of bad tidings and not to offer you financial advice because I'm not offering financial, but I'm just going to say, you know, you might as well just cash out while you can. <laughs> you might as well get out while you can and get yourself as debt free as pro by the thing is, is you're going to have to secure your assets because that's part of this deal too, is that there's an okie doke that's being played on people. People think that they may be in a good position, secure, uh, but as long as there is a, um, depending upon where you got your, uh, your asset from bank wise, whatever, they may very well be able to reseize your asset from you, irrespective of whether you have hold the title. A lot of this is very, well, it's evil and it's going to be very difficult for you to fight. Because individually, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how many lawyers you have, <laughs> you're still going to have to get in line. And most of the judges are not, I mean, they can string it. In other words, you can go broke before you'll get your stuff back. You know, this is like Wall Street. You can be the, the you can be right, no matter how, how right you are about everything and circumstances, uh, they can make you broke before you, before you prove that they're wrong. Um, that's just the way it is. Um, that's the way they're working this and that's the way they're approaching it. They're ruthless. These people are absolutely ruthless and the Chinese are ruthless and the Russians are ruthless. And many of the people who are probably even aware of this shit, believe me, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a very high IQ person compared to these people, but there are people who calculate this stuff for fun. But all you have to do is be able to look down the road just a little bit. And I'm not the only one. There's hundreds, if not thousands of people who are very well aware this is going on. Uh, but they don't know. There, there's bits and pieces to this whole formula. And I've kind of kind of gotten a handle on a couple of pieces. And I'm, I'm going away from this uh, piece. But I'll come back to it just a second. So there's a health piece. There's the one health thing. They want to use health health and hygiene to control people. Fear, fear, fear. You know, we know about COVID, vaccines, etc. cetera. Uh, there's this communitarianism that they've, uh, uh, Rosa Corey talking about the UN, about uh, uh, having uh, uh, everything tabulated up, all human capacities, all human land and property. You know, the UN, you know, one world, one world government. But the idea is, is, uh, your individual rights don't matter. They swat that away. So 
uh, you know, because they'll say, you know, you're interfering with uh, the community. The community community is better, more important to you. It's communism. That's that's communitarianism. It's basically, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, the needs of the the needs of the the needs of the person are irrelevant compared to the community. And the community is a, a nebulous concept that changes depending upon who's in, in charge of the community, which is always going to be somebody who's a technocrat and a chief pointy head who's who's uh, overseeing this. It's much the same way with uh, you know other technocratic systems, and they feel they have all the the, the bells and whistles between AI, robotics, etc., all the tracking mechanisms, all the drones, and everything. They've been rolling this out little by little. They have the Patriot. They're going to take everything you say and use it against you. You know, they have the FISA. They've just renewed the FISA through the NDAA. Uh, we have people that just don't understand what the hell's going on. Either that, or they're just so compromised that they they're they don't they they can't they just can't connect dots. I don't think our Congress people, they're all pretty low IQ to be frank about it. They may think they're top notch at lots of stuff, but they are, they are either absolutely compromised or they're just too fucking stupid to realize that you don't hand off people's rights. So that's the second piece. So you got health, communitarianism, and then you have this little piece, which is the financial sector. So you got health, finance, and then you have pro- uh, basically a property uh, balancing of individual rights. So individual rights, we'll call it. So health, individual rights, and, and the finance piece. These are like three heads of the same hydra. Uh, there, this is a hydra, by the way. There's there's multiple heads. There's international p- pieces and bits of this stuff. Um, they want the China model, the China system, the techno-totalitarian uh, tracking mechanism, social credit score, which is tied pie to the communitarianism. You know, you violate whatever community guidelines. They knock your credit score, and that's where the CD, the CBDC is tied to this financial collapse situation that they're planning on implementing. And then if if those two things aren't working hard enough against you, they'll have the health scares, constant pandemics, constant fear porn, all this bullshit that they'll tie to health and hygiene because they want to control everybody. They do want to put masks back on everybody. They want everybody to shut the hell up. These people absolutely despise you to levels that you just can't even begin to process. They despise humanity. They're eugenicists. They don't care for you. They want to extract whatever they can value they can get out of you. They figure most of you are worthless. Eight billion people. Figure there's a hundred thousand of these assholes that are actually at the very top, and of those, probably another uh, uh, less than a thousand, probably five hundred that actually have a substantial uh, in, uh, input on the incentive structure that gets handed down to the rest of the rest of the plebes. Um, and these are huge landowners, or huge bankers, or one and the same. You don't get to see them, but you can guarantee there's a Rockefeller or a Rothschild or or anybody along that lines are connected to it or related to it, or certainly know it. There's certainly an oligarchic presence. This has even been spelled out by someone of, of all fucking play people, Hunter Biden. So when they were doing their Belt and Road Initiative with the Chinese, uh, one of the bigger uh, schmucks that he was working with, a guy named Gilliard, he spelled it out in there that they, they, they have to... Uh, kiss up to these oligarchic banks and oligarchs and these uh 
these private banks that you don't know very much of anything about. I mean, there's these are these are these are not the J.P. Morgans. These are not the Citigroups. They're not the even the Chinese Development Bank. Albeit that one might be bigger than what we think. They're like little niche banks, but we don't know what property they own. We don't know what what their agreements are. Lots of this stuff is just you know, hey, it's just hidden behind uh, agreements, side deals. You don't know who owns all these banks. You don't know who owns all the central banks. You can't. You can't figure it out. They don't allow you to get into that shit. Believe me, it take it would it would take a lot of. Uh, this is part of the problem with pri- uh, central banks. You know, we need this. Uh, you need these nuts cracked open, but big, and finding out who exactly is pulling all the strings behind the the scene. Of course, you know, <laughs> they'll. They'll they'll call in the U.S. military before they'll allow us to go ahead and uh, do this. And we have such evil people that'll actually uh, carry out those orders because we have people that are just mindless drones instead of uh, actually having the competency to fight against this stuff. So anyway, let me get back to this real quick and then we'll close up shop on this uh, episode. So back to his uh, his writings. He said, while there was widespread uh, deprivation, selected banking interests took the collateral of thousands of banks, which were forced to close, as well as a great many people and businesses, large and small, the indebted. In the U.S., gold held by the public was confiscated. True, 1933. But most importantly, closely held secretive, uh, secretive private control of central banks and money creation was maintained and was the aforementioned control over society's key institutions, including political parties, governments, intelligence agents, armed forces, you know, etc., including the media. The, heir, the heirs to this control position have known for many decades that such a collapse in the of lossy money would come again. They have been preparing. For them, it's, about abs- it's an absolute imperative to remain in control through the collapse and the reset. So this is a generational this is passed down through generations. I know that seems hard to conceptualize, but uh, and it, it, if you start thinking about who's in charge of certain countries and certain people are in certain places, it's not so hard to conceptualize when you know that Christina Phelan is uh, uh, connected to a journalist who was in the Nazi uh, uh, satellite back in the 1930s. Technocracy just comes around about 80, 80, every 80 to 100 years. And to this point, you know, that's what this is about. So let me get back to this. So they've been preparing for them. It's about absolutely imperative remaining control through the collapse and the Great Reset. Otherwise, they risk being discovered, investigated, and prosecuted. Yeah, exactly. You know, once people realize who's manipulating them, they're going to be highly pissed. These people don't want that. So that's why they use cutouts and go-betweens and face people who... Who, uh, I mean, this is a, a you know coordination and coercion. I mean, you know, these are warfare tactics. People don't like it because you don't, you know, it's they they've learned something. They learned their lessons from the the 1930s. They learned their lessons from, and uh, people have this misconception that it was about nationalism. No, no, that was just a mechanism to do a lot of damage. Uh, remember after, after world war one, there was the league of nations that fell apart. They didn't get their globalist uh, government put in. 
and you had this uh, fraying and people call, talked about ultranationalism. And then after World War, after World War II, what happened? We had the United Nations. We re-put this installation of this global governance or this global, uh, you know, meetup that was supposed to, you know, break down the barriers and solve problems. Show me a problem that the United Nations has ever solved. The answer is they haven't. It's and it's also be run. It's run by people who are highly evil, manipulative, and we don't even know who all the people are. Some of these people are just go betweens, you know, the ministers and the directors and the ambassador to whatever from whatever country to another country. You know, do we know all these people? How many of us really pay attention to what the United Nations say? We say, ah, it doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter. But it matters enough that it it stuck it it stayed around and the World Health Organization's involved in it and a host of other uh, um, people, including like China and Iran, have been using it to do what they want to do. And by the way, Israel has done that too. So there's a there is a you know there is a reason that we should pay attention to what goes on there. And there's a reason why we should probably, I mean, I, I've always been a firm supporter of getting the hell out of the United Nations. I've actually been a firm supporter of many of many countries to just uh, destruct their, their relationships with it. But that, that's because I, I've always seen it as a danger. So let's say they're not doing, they're not doing it for us. There's, there is, there is no noble purpose. We are now living within a replay of this monetary phenomenon, a profound decline in the velocity of money, which began when velocity peaked in 1997. This was, a co this was coincident with the onset of a major global financial crisis known as the Asian financial crisis and was followed within a few years by the dot-com bubble and bust. Throughout this period, I was managing a long-term, a long-short equity hedge funds and developed the insight that the Federal Reserve was influencing the direction of financial markets. Well, go figure. This was considered conspiracy theory even by my partners. At that time, it was done through open markets, uh, operations conducted by the New York Fed, uh, using repurchase agreements on treasury securities. You know, I guess you would call that the repo market. I began systematically following the rate of growth in M3, the broadest measure of money at the time, which is no longer published. I studied that what was unfolding incrementally, and I saw that in individual weeks, new money create, created was more than 1% of annual U.S. GDP. This was when I first occurred to me that the Fed was getting less bang for the buck, buck and that the GDP was not resp responding to money creation. True. I can... I can almost verify that because not only is it the money creation, but you can also see the amount of deficit spending that we have been generating in our GDP does not go, go up correspondingly in just about, I mean, there's others that have noticed a severe deficit. So if it wasn't for the money creation that we've, uh, uh, you know, money creation and debt that we, if it wasn't for the U S deficits, the debt that we've created, you would, we would probably be, we would, would have been in huge recessions going back many, many years, like, you know, five and 10% uh, decline in GDP. Um, but it's all money, you know, like you said, it's all fluff. 
This means the velocity of money was inverting and that the money growth was now much higher than any GDP growth. The money being created was not going into the real economy, but it was driving a financial bubble with no relationship to underlying economic activity. I understood this, not with hindsight, but not with hindsight, but in near real time. If I can know it, Yellen Greenspan and the people he worked knew it for knew, knew it too. So why why did they do it? Exactly. If he can figure it out, and a lot of other people can figure it out if they spend time on it, he isn't the only one, then why aren't the... Uh, they do know. They just aren't telling you. They're not going to... There's lots of liars in the world, and <laughs> a lot of them work in finance, and, you know, all the other things, intel, politics. I mean, we know... The thing is, is there is no ethics anymore. There's no foundational uh, uh, mooring to truth or or sharing the truth with people because they they're afraid of the populations. They're afraid of these people. Um, they're they're afraid because of numbers. They're afraid that you know if they have to tell people they can't get their uh, can't get their uh, welfare, they'll riot, and that's what they're scared of. They're scared of these people. Uh, that's because they can't, they, but that's because they've made all kinds of promises they can't keep. And they've also destructed their, well, meanwhile too, they're also just morally bankrupt and corrupt and they're, they're skimming off the top and they're, they're corrupt and they, they ship out jobs and they'll say, well, it isn't our fault. We can't create more act. They don't do anything to achieve better economic activity. They don't do anything to, to, uh, create an educational system that causes people to want to work harder. I mean, there's things I would have loved to have done in my life. I've always felt like I've had, you know, the opportunity to do stuff, things that I could do things on my own, but the people with good ideas can't, you can't, you can't get a financing. You know why? Because the bigger corporations have, have cordoned off and use regulation and use lawyers to beat down on anybody who might have even a spark of a good idea. And I'm not saying I'm anything to that. I, I'm not saying that I would have, would have been the one to achieve it. I had a good, good idea for a healthcare system back when, you know, it, you know, I, you know, wasn't falling apart my own self. Um, but that's what happens when, you know, you've had a, uh, you know, people hijack you, but they, they don't care about that. That, that, that that's not what these people are after. They're not. They're not after uh, a free free enterprise. Free enterprise is dead. It's been dead for a long time. They killed it. They don't care. They fuel cockamamie ideas. There's a reason why Sam Bankman Fraud could could come up with some little, you know, application or, or whatever, and create this whole uh, fake funny money, uh, whole Ponzi scheme that he put together. And managed to get it, get on the World Economic. Uh, he was on the World Economic Forum website. There's a reason why he could, uh, you know, he was just trying to hide behind effective altruism was one of his little shindigs. I mean, just think about that. That guy started. He 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 was working in the business. I think around 2017, 2018. But he started FTX in May of 2019, and he's already you know in the joint or going to be in the joint. Which is interesting because they, they used him as now they're using him as the reason why they have to stop anybody from. And I know everybody's like, oh, so, you know, Bitcoin and this and that and all these other special entities. They're not going to matter. I'm just going to say that I'm going to be. I'm not an investor. 
I don't like to step on people's uh, concepts that they want to put together, but they're not going to let you do that shit. They'll put you in a <laughs> they'll they'll figure out a way to hijack anybody who tries to go forward with this stuff anymore. There are other ways to to pay for economic activities. We're going to have to go very local. We're going to have to decentralize everything. And it's not going to be an easy job. And I know I'm getting way off topic, but these, these things are just so big. They're just so enormous. There's just so much to go through. And it's hard to do by myself. Be nice to kick these ideas off other people. And I have, but I'm just saying there's just a, there's just a propensity uh, for people to think that technology is going to give you a solution on the monetary side when it's not. It's just not going to be allowed. They can hijack that. They're going to hack it. There's, there's a whole whole list of mining. There's all kinds of things that are inherently difficult and not just out downright impossible under the, the paradigm that these people are going to put together. They're not going to allow people to use uh, technology to thwart their system. They're just not going to let you do that. They'll put you in jail or they'll have you or they'll downsize you permanently from the human existence. They're not going to allow that to happen. Um, It's going to be hard enough for even a decentralized uh, localism. But at least that the thing is, is non-technology. In other words, just transactions between folks. That's your that's your best hope. Why? Because it won't. It, it shouldn't involve technology. It should involve a way to just keep track of what you uh, do for each other. Barter system. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, there's some kind of mechanism there, and everybody has to come up with what that mechanism needs to be. Each local community um, and maybe mo- local communities put together. Uh, people are really going to have to get creative, and people can do that. It's been done. It's been done in the past and can be done again. You're going to have to do that to thwart this entire system. That being said, they're going to come after everybody's property, food. They're going to come after anything that you have. If it ain't bolted to, it literally, in you too, they'll come after you too as well. That's what they want to, that's why there was a, a, there's a possibility too with the vaccine. As far as what was embedded in the vaccine, we don't know. I don't know. I know that they had plasma. They said they uh, they put some there was some uh, there's a, a presentation where I see that they've they've uh, injected uh, DNA uh, you know certain DNA that got contaminated into that are they going to use that as a uh, methodology to say that you've been altered if it has altered your DNA and they're going to use that as the excuse to say that they because your DNA is altered from its original base form. And when you took a Pfizer vaccine, now does it has Pfizer created some cockamamie black, some uh, redacted uh, form that you don't know about out there that shows that they that because they've altered your DNA, you're now their property. I don't know. <laughs> I'm guessing that there's some. Believe me, there's enough malevolence behind all this stuff that nothing surprises me anymore. Not even not even as far as even even to that level of you know, deception and deceit and evil. And there are people that would work in Pfizer who would continue to work at Pfizer. And they just say, well, it sucks to be you. You know, you were told you were warned. They would make up something. People will make up all kinds of uh, mental workarounds in order to, uh, 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 to, to salve their conscience or 
uh, to ignore their guilt and their uh, complicity because fighting back is just, you know, they shut down. I mean, many people do shut down under that kind of pressure. They'll just shut down. Um, my problem is, is I get too agitated and I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll probably blow a gasket. Won't take much for me because I'm just, you know, I already am stressed about a lot of things and physically I'm stressed. What I'm getting at is everybody's going to respond in their own way. Uh, overwhelming majority of people are very sheepish, cattleish, whatever you want to call it. They just, they, they, they can't, they don't know how to fight. Let's just say this. They're not, they're not mentally um, adapted enough to understand that. Plus, it's, it's much easier to just ignore. I mean, it happened, it happened in war. Everybody responded to, you know, certain things very similarly in World War II. So, um, you know, people, uh, I was, I, I have gone so far afield, it doesn't matter, but because uh, I'm just riffing. So there was a, I was watching this just the other night. It was talking about, you know, this guy was, it was an interview on uh, World at War. Guy was probably in his mid thirties. You know, he had been about six when the six or eight years old, somewhere in that age, age range during World War II. Um, and he was talking about how he had had to stand in line for bread. Um, and he was Jewish and he had to go, go, go to town or go stand in line and, try to hide and of course people would point other point out Jew, Jews in the line because Stasi snitches they had to snitch they would or they didn't have to snitch but they would snitch in order for them because the Nazis would promise them more bread of course they would just promise them the person's portion of the the Jewish person's portion of um, you know the rations so you know point out a snitch point out a a Jew you go from having one loaf of bread to getting two loaf of breads. I'm just using that as a number or example. Um, so anyway, this uh, guy, uh, you know, at that age, so he's standing in line and he runs across his friend who is a non-Jew. Is you know, and they've been pals for year, you know, for a couple years or whatever, however long the kids were kids. Suddenly, he his friend turns on him and says, you know, I'm not, you know, he says, you're not my friend anymore. I don't know you. And, uh, you know, you just left it there at that time. But can you imagine, you know, you know, you suddenly are, you know, ostracized instantaneously by somebody who, you know, at that age, of course, you, you, you can't believe it. But even at that age, kids know what to do. At least that's what they're trained, you know, self-preservation. Now. He survived the war. This guy did. Now, think about it for a second. Do you think his friend survived the war? We don't know. Uh, did he die at some point in the you know battle of whatever, wherever it was at? You know. So, you know, when you get into the whole idea of karma and retribution and and, and or just dumb fate, you know, who knows. But that's where we, you know, it's hard for humanity. This is why these people have done these things over and over and over again. I'm seeing a pattern probably going back, who knows, probably a thousand, two thousand years, who knows, every, about every, every so often. 
it's been done. We, we know back through history, you can go back to any king who fought wars and battles or whatever. They always uh, played with the treasury and always uh, mint and coins and stuff like that. A little bit easier to, to determine then or could be. But uh, they've always messed with They know money manipulate. They can manipulate any people. They can manipulate people because people, uh, they when you get down to it, people are, you know, there are people who are in fact greedy. And by greedy, I mean, they just, they're just desperate. They're just desperate to that tangibility. They're afraid of, uh, you know, going without. Um, and of course, you know, that's the reason why they always know they can starve you for a few days. You can make anybody just do just about anything. And they can do, that's, you know, the chaos and stuff. And there's people who are, you know, they get a title and a position. And as long as they're getting well fed, they'll do just about anything to keep that position, including sell out their brothers or sisters, their their kids. You know, there's people that are just that, you know, you know, their principles, there's no principles left. I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal and say that I would think otherwise, but one thing that's helpful in my position as it is, is I, you know, my mom's dead, my dad's dead, uh, you know, no brothers and sisters. I think I have, I have a half brother out there or whatever. Uh, doesn't matter. I've never met him. So it doesn't, I don't even know his name. Uh, point is, is, uh, leverage points. Um, and then there's people that just don't have a, uh, you know, they don't have a much of a, we saw what happened during the pandemic that shouldn't even have to really go any further than that, really, to explain how people are. There's people that we were there. We used to think the world of or think good things of, and then the pandemic turned them into a completely different human being. You find out how much fear can be, put inside a person's head just merely by the media itself. That's why the media is probably the most powerful thing to control and why I don't, I never understood anybody who sits there and tell, talks about how Trump will be this or Trump will be that or Trump is that. And I'm only bringing him up for a second because he has never controlled the media. He just did. Just never did. So <clears throat> you don't control the media. You can't be a dictator. You just can't because the media, if it stands against you in that level, a le unanimity, at least the big mainstream media, you can't do it. That's why they hate the people who, you know, granted, there are people that are overly obsessed with him and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, is that there's enough Americans still left in this country who know the media is full of shit and have, have uh, amplified stupidity to such a large degree that, you know, nobody listens to it. <clears throat> so <clears throat> <clears throat> hold on a second here. Um, yeah, that voice is going going to hell. So <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry, I'm going to have to cut, cut this close. <clears throat> finally, finally gave out. So hold on a second here. So, I guess what I'm getting at, hold on. Okay, so, 
long story short, the we're all going to have to keep ourselves um, very focused on there's going to come a time when they're going to pull the string on this. That's what uh, this uh, guy gets to is they can do it whenever they want to. So they can really make big. Uh, so as it turns out, <clears throat> we've had some monetary collapses before. And <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry. So we're going to have to um, figure out how to <clears throat> survive and do the best you can throughout this. Um, um, I'm going to, so I'll read a couple more paragraphs of this and then I'm going to close this up. So velocity of money has now contracted to a lower level than any other point during the Great Depression and World Wars. Once the ability to produce growth by printing money has been exhausted, creating more money will not help. It, it, it is pushing on a string. Correct. The phenomenon is irreversible. And so perhaps the announcement of the Great Reset has been motivated by not by global warming or profound insights into the fourth industrial revolution, but rather by certain knowledge of the collapse of this fundamental monetary phenomenon, the implications of which extend far beyond economics. <clears throat> Something has been planned for us, but not for the reasons you may have been given. How might we come to know something about this intentions of the planners, perhaps by examining their preparations? And so he talked about, he goes into those preparations and one of them is called dematerialization. Um, <clears throat> so he says, there are no, now they are now no property rights to securities held in a book entry form in any jurisdiction glo globally in the grand scheme to confiscate all collateral <clears throat> dematerialization of securities was the essential first step. The planning and effort began over a half century ago and I'll, just leave it there for now because he goes into a very uh, tie to certain things and will I it would be hard for me to <clears throat> go into this right now so I hope you enjoyed listening to what I had to say um, I appreciate uh, you listening uh, to my podcast uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, endeavor to do another one before the end of the year maybe like a year-end wrap-up there's so much that's always going on. So I'll leave it there for now. And I thank you uh, again uh, for listening.